God, you are so good. It's not always easy to sing. I had to take a moment as we were singing and I was trying to sing that and looked down at my family and was reminded that, yeah, he is. Should this life bring suffering, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me forever. I guess if I wanted to sum up what this sermon will be, it is maybe that should this life bring suffering, and guess what it has, I will remember what Calvary has brought for me forever. Today's one of those sermons where you just have to toss the script. And the plan was to do Acts 5. I already had, I averaged seven to eight pages per sermon. I already had five pages done. Like, I was doing pretty good. And then I just kept feeling sick inside. In the last few days, I've been feeling sick. In the last few days, I've been feeling I need to say something else. My hope is this is the Spirit of God. Um, If it is me and only me, then don't listen. If I could sum up this life right now in one word, it is weary. I am weary. Sarah is weary. My family is weary. And I don't think I'm alone. 2020 has been a crushing year for all of us. And we have no light at the end of the tunnel right at this moment. We are all weary, beyond weary, really. We are really feeling what Paul said that has been happening since the fall. All of creation is groaning. And we're actually in America getting it now. Or maybe we should be. Any sense of relief seems uh, rather far off. Last Tuesday in our elders meeting, we looked a bit at Second Chronicles 20. And I want us to go there this morning. Please open your Bibles to Second Chronicles 20. I'm going to look at, I believe, most of the chapter. I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 12. Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 12. God's holy word begins. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came together and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, Our Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel 
and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Two points this morning. The first one is that fear must drive us to the Lord. The second point I want to end with is that the story is far from over. Fear must drive us to the Lord, but the story is far from over. Let's begin by looking at how fear should drive us. It should drive us. It doesn't always drive us. A great horde is united against God's people and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And he was afraid. He was weary and worn out. And you know what? I'm glad it says he was afraid. Because I'm feeling right there with him. And I know that I'm not alone. COVID has magnified everything. All of our pre-existing fears and worries are already intensified. If you remember, the very first sermon I preached here, which was not that long ago, was titled, A Lousy Sermon from an Imperfect Pastor for a Broken People. In that sermon, I said something like this, perfect people don't need a Savior. Whole people don't need Jesus as healing salvation. But broken people, broken people need Jesus. Our brokenness is the foundation of the salvation. If we are not broke, then there's nothing for God to fix. Redemption is found only in brokenness. Beginning with that sermon from day one, my desire here was to be honest with you no matter the cost. And I need to tell you I am broken right now. Sarah is broken right now. The last few months, we've been wondering why we're here. We're wrestling with a sense of purpose, or even asking why God has brought us here. We don't feel needed, we don't feel wanted, and the weight of the church's financial situation reminds us we, you guys can't even afford us. We don't know what our future is here, and we are afraid. I'm not alone, just so you know. <laughs> Recently read an article that highlighted research on pastoral well-being during the pandemic. The article cited Tom Rader, who does a lot of research in church-related practice. He says this. Let me read a few sections from this. 
The article says, the vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates are saying they are considering, considering quitting their churches. Rainer says, it's not a trend I've seen in my lifetime. Some are just weeks away from making an announcement. They are looking for work in the secular world. Some will move to bivocational ministry. Some will move to marketplace ministry. Listen to this. Among the struggles, the article says, that pastors are facing is that they are weary from the pandemic. They are discouraged by fights between church members and facing declining membership, financial uncertainties, increased workload, and increased criticism. I stand here before you to say all of that is true. Discouragement, weariness, declining membership, financial uncertainties, increased workload, and yeah, increased criticism that I personally have felt. Now let me be clear, this is not a resignation sermon. I'm not there yet. This is just me being honest. I owe that to you. I owe that to you. See, I can't stand up here and preach like everything's okay. I could not preach Acts 5 today. I couldn't. I think in some respects to do that would be lying to myself and lying to you. That's not who I am, and I don't think that's what you need. See, Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he gathered the people to seek the face of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast, and maybe that's something we need to do. He assembled the people together, and they sought the Lord together. Fear drove them there. Fear drove them to assemble. Fear drove them to fast. Fear drove them to seek the Lord. Where is fear driving you today? Where is fear driving me today? If you look at all the recent polls and data on the state of the church in America generally, and I don't think this is true with, the, with a lot of overseas, and praise God for that. But in the church in America, it reveals the very opposite happening of what Jehoshaphat and Judah experienced. In the American church, we are staying apart and we have science to say we should. We are not meaning, we are not fasting, and we are not seeking the Lord together. So what did Jehoshaphat do next? He gathered all of Judah together and he prayed. And in his prayer, he reminded the people of who God is and what God has done. Look at verses 6 to 7. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Who is this God? He is our God. He is the Lord of our fathers. He is the God in heaven. He is the one who rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. He is the God who holds all power and might in his hand. No one is able to stand against him. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the King of all kings, and Lord of all lords. 
And he is the God who saves his people. He redeemed his people from out of Egypt, brought them into the land of promise. This same saving God continues to call people out of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And then scripture declares of us, God's people, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. For what purpose? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... Now you are God's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jehoshaphat then challenges them, no matter what comes, to continue to seek the Lord together. Look at verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, whether it's the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and then we will cry out to you in affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. If disaster comes upon them, whether it's the sword, Judgment, pestilence, famine, COVID-19, or something else. The people remain committed to meeting together to seek the Lord. They saw the corporate gathering of God's people as essential. Even if disaster comes upon us, they said, you will find us gathered together seeking your face. See, our problem is that we want church to be safe. It's not. It's not. Church is not safe. Christianity is not safe. Following Jesus is not safe. Danger lurks in the shadows for any follower of Christ. Yet now we could argue it's no longer in the shadows. We feel danger right behind us. We feel its dark breath upon our necks and we're fearful. Danger for the Western church has come to church. Being a follower of Christ in China is simply dangerous. There is a built-in risk. Churches in China know that persecution is part of what they sign up for. They grasp the need to understand what we need to understand, that following Christ is dangerous. Obedience often comes at a great cost. Our Chinese brothers and sisters, I think, grasp better than we do what Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Our Chinese brothers and sisters know the risk. They count the cost to follow Jesus. And let me be clear. Yes, they take precautions. They don't advertise where they're meeting. But they do know that every time they meet, there is a risk of being raided, being arrested, or worse. But they believe the risk is far outweighed by worship, by seeking God together. The word proclaimed the Lord God praised, the fellowship enjoyed, the Lord's Supper received, all essential elements to the Christian life. They understand the risks, but fellowship, worship, and the word are worth the risk. Death is worth the risk. We haven't had such risk until COVID hit. Now many people here in America believe that the greatest risk is to attend church. There is a fear that if you attend, you may get sick and die, or worse, you may get sick and pass it on to someone else who will die. And let me be clear, that is a risk. That is a risk. There are no guarantees. For some reason, we have this, we desire this control, so we wear our masks, we practice social distancing, all for the purpose of control. But there, we don't have that control that we think we have. Now let me be clear, I'm not saying we don't wear masks. I'm not saying we don't social distance. I'm wearing a mask right now. I'm simply saying we don't have the control we think we have. We could be masked up, social distance perfect, and COVID could still destroy everyone in this church, or it could not. And you know what? We need to look beyond COVID. Maybe I'm completely wrong here, but before COVID hit, and it's only been accentuated, our culture has continued to grow worse and worse for the follower of Christ. So even if COVID is fixed tomorrow and we're good to get back to our normal, normal for us is fading. The more I think about it, COVID is prepping us for the suffering and persecution that is to come. And how are we handling it? Let me be clear that there is a risk. We need wisdom as we move forward and how to do our best to mitigate the risk while still seeking to obey the commands of Scripture. But I want to say this. Danger should not keep us from gathering. Danger should not keep us from seeking the Lord together. Danger and fear should actually drive us in unity to seek the Lord together. That is what God's people have done in the story of Jehoshaphat. United together. 
There's been an article published in the Banner of Truth written by David Campbell. I want to read three concluding paragraphs from it. It's called, The Church in Danger, Now They Are Together. And please hear me clearly. This is what he writes. It is right that we should practice social distancing and do those other things that are designed to keep ourselves and others safe. It would be presumption to expect God to protect us from this virus if we made no effort to protect ourselves. But danger ought not to be pleaded as an excuse for staying away, not at least without very good reason. Christians throughout history have been in the very same place as we are. Danger has been a reality for them too, but it has not stopped them from meeting. It ought not to stop us. He continues, The hesitancy felt by many of us today is understandable. No one should look down on a fellow Christian who is afraid either for their own sake or for the sake of others to come back to church. The individual conscience needs to be respected too. If for what we are believed to be God-honoring reasons, the decision is to delay return. But it ought to be every Christian's goal to gather with the saints as soon as possible. That is our duty. It is in our highest interest. It is surely where our hearts are. And he says, if it isn't, we have a very serious spiritual problem. His last paragraph. Will obedience guarantee our safety? No. No, it won't. God doesn't always protect his people from the dangers that threaten them. Our persecuted fellow Christians, he says, know that only too well. But they would assure us, however, from their precious personal experience, that Christians are not the losers by their obedience. And God will see to it that we are not the exception. For many of us, it, feel like, it feels like disaster is upon us. It's not, but it feels like it. So what should God's people be doing? If the story of Jehoshaphat is an example for us, then we need to be gathered together seeking the Lord's face. When disaster comes, we need each other more than ever. And we need the Lord more than ever. We need to seek his face together. Those assembled against Judah were a terrifying force. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat describes them as a great horde, such a great horde that the people of God stood powerless against them. And Jehoshaphat threw up his hands, we do not know what to do. But he didn't throw his hands up in defeat. He threw them up, crying out to the Lord for rescue. Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Are we there yet? Are we asking that question? Are we making that statement? Are we crying out to the Lord? I am. We are wearier than ever before, 
the last few days, I've felt at wit's end. As a church, we seem very divided and splintered over what we should and should not do. A great horde stands before us, and I feel very powerless. Fear consumes us. Countless voices cry out, danger is everywhere. Danger is all around us. Danger, danger, danger. And we stand before the great horde, not knowing what to do. I have no idea what to do. No matter what we do, this is the challenging part, no matter what we do as elders for the sake of our church, some, some side will be offended and frustrated. It is a lose-lose situation. It is lose-lose. I don't know what to do. I'm crying out to God, and I want us to cry out to God. Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But that prayer is not the end of the story. Jehoshaphat and the story continues, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and singing, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Amnon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. 
When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barachah, for they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barachah to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God found on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave them rest all around. That, brothers and sisters, is a foretaste of heaven. But we're not there yet. The Spirit of God comes upon Jehaziel with confidence and power. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde. It's not your battle. The battle is mine, says the Lord. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. I am the God of your fathers. I am the Lord who made heaven and earth. I am the God who rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. I am the Lord God who has all power and might. I am the Lord God. No one is able to stand against me. This battle is mine. What are you to do? Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord. O people of God, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, God says, because I am with you. This prophetic voice led Jehoshaphat and the people of God to worship together. Verse 18, they, Jehoshaphat bows his head, the face to the ground. All Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Lord moved. He rose up and went to battle. Verse 22 is simply remarkable. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. As God's people are crying out in worship, give thanks to God for a steadfast Lord endures forever. God's enemies are slaughtered by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the warrior King Jesus Christ. And God is just saying to his people after he has saved them, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Stand firm. And God saves his people. The Judean army never lifted a sword. And they returned to Jerusalem and worshipped. God's people were saved. Their enemies defeated. And it was a witness to the nations. The fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Oh, how desperately we long for that quiet and that rest. Been reading through John Piper's book, Coronavirus in Christ. It's a short book, it's actually free. If you want to get it, if you're okay reading it on the computer or Kindle. 
it's worth it because for me, it's reminding me what I need to be reminded of. That Jesus is our rock who is under our feet right now. Whether we live or die, Jesus is our rock right now. Christ is ours and we are his. And Piper is also helpful because he reminds us that at this time we are created for good works. Works that he says are often performed in dangerous times. But works that magnify God's glory. When we put sin and self to death, even in the midst of danger, Christ is magnified by what Piper calls our risky kindness. He writes this. One of God's purposes in the coronavirus is that people put to death self-pity and fear and give themselves to good deeds in the presence of danger. Christians lean toward need, not comfort. Toward love, not safety. That's what our Savior is like. That is what he died for. Henry Martin was a 19th century missionary to India and Persia. In January of 1812, he wrote this. To all appearances, the present year will be more perilous than any I have seen. But if I live to complete the Persian New Testament, my life after that will be of less importance. But whether life or death be mine, may Christ be magnified in me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. Martin died of the plague that October, age 31. Christ's work through him was complete. And his passion for Christ to the nations continues to be felt today. He leaned not towards safety and comfort, but towards love and need. In life or death, his chief desire was for Christ to be magnified. But that is hard. We are still stuck in between. We're caught in this tension between a future hope that is ours in Christ and the present reality that seems devoid of all hope. So we long now for Christ to return, but we still fear as we wait. And until he returns, we weep. We mourn. We grow weary. We groan with the rest of creation. Yet also, by the help of the Spirit, we do our best to stand firm. We try to give thanks to the Lord. We offer up the little praise we have left. We believe and we ask the Lord to help our unbelief. We totter, we wobble, but the rock is sure under our feet. So we can do nothing but press on, knowing that to live is Christ, to die is gain. If we die today, if we die tomorrow, we will be with Christ. That hope we have now is secured in the past at the cross and assured for us in the future, which gives us hope for today. Our God is here. Our God is with us. And he will never leave, never forsake us. So for now, church, 
We join together, crying out to God, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Father, this hoard is too great. This pandemic and all of our fear surrounding it, it's killing us. As your people, we're becoming more divided and splintered. We are being driven by fear, and our fear isn't always driving us to you. Oh, our God, we stand powerless. We stand powerless, broken and fearful before you. We do not know what to do, but we lift up our eyes. We lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come from? Our help must come from you, O oh Lord. The one who made heaven and earth, you promise us that you will not let our feet be moved. You are not asleep. You do not slumber. You will keep your people. Be our shade so the scorching sun of this pandemic stops burning us. As we walk through the fire, you promise that we will not be burned. Be our light in the darkness. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us hope. Give us peace and give us joy. Lord, keep us from evil. Keep our life. But if you take it, let us know that it is worth the risk. Let us count the cost. Let us also know that eternal rest and joy awaits for us after our death. Let us know and experience the comfort of the truth that we are yours and you are ours. Spirit of God, bore this deep into our hearts and minds. God, if you are for us, who can be against us? You did not spare your son, but gave him for us all. How will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against us, your elect? God, you are the one who justifies. There is no one left to condemn. Christ Jesus, you are the one who died. More than that, you were raised, and you are at the right hand of God. You are interceding for us now. And Jesus, if you are interceding for us, then surely God answers your prayers and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19, for as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no. In all these things, we as your people are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Help us to be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the deep, deep, deep love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, our God, we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of the Lord to his people, and we'll end on this. 
do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is the Lord's. It is not yours, but God's. So stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And know with the confidence of Christ that the Lord our God is with you.